0: Sugar!
1: Yes, this is Labor and Love Radio. You're in the right place. That was Joan Baez. The reason I played it is because this is the 65th anniversary of the horrific bombing that killed four little girls. And I have to say, those little girls had to die for a lot of people to wake up to see what was going on in in their own country. But we're not just about that, we're uh, about this one. La Jenny, viva el día de independencia.
2: No estoy pidiendo joyas, ni pieles ni palacios
1: Independencia tener. de las mujeres.
2: Las calles al pasar, tampoco es que yo exija. Ni tierras, ni riquezas, más que estar recibiendo. Me gusta regalar. Solo estoy pidiendo sentirme bien amada, que me amen como yo amo, con fuego y compasión. Ojalá comprendiera que estoy desesperada buscando quien. Y yo, princesa ni esclava, simplemente mujer.
1: Good morning, mutineers. This is Labor and Love Radio. And this is the B, a.k.a. Bill Morgan. Good morning to you all. That was our opening set, and of course we started out with... The last one was the Bamba with Lila Downs. Lila Downs, um, a Mixtec mother and a Scottish-English father grew up in the united states a uh, big fan of the grateful dead when she was younger she wrote later that she was ashamed of of her indian blood and it embarrassed her when her mother spoke her native language in public lila downs <clears throat> ended up back in mexico and uh from there changed her mind she became uh, she became trilingual in English, Spanish, and Nahuatl, the native language of the tribes that lived around uh, Tenochtitlan, Mexico City. So that was the Bamba with Lila Downs. Before that, Jenny Rivera, native of Long Beach, California ni princesa ni esclava i'm neither a princess nor a slave independencia de las mujeres and before that it was birmingham sunday like i said with joan baez commemorating the bombing of a church in birmingham alabama and four little girls who were who died because of white supremacist terrorism. Good morning. You're, at, you're tuned to Labor and Love, and you're tuned to Mutiny Radio. We have a studio here at 2781 21st Street. <coughs> Pardon me. A place called Mutiny Radio Cafe, formerly. Now it could be Mutiny Radio Performance Center, Community Arts Center, Centro Cultural, in the heart of the Mission District. We've got art, we've got comedy, we've got video, we've got live bands, and we've got a radio station. Please come down and Get involved. We have open slots for programmers. You want to have a voice? Come on down to Mutiny Radio. Take the training. Put in your monthly dues and you got a radio voice. I want to read uh, a uh, a couple of credos. And the first one is about you're just not into politics. I love this. There are always people saying, uh, well, I'm just not into politics, you know. The uh, manager of the Boston Red Sox, I believe, Joey Cora, who's a Puerto Rican was asked to comment on President Trump's misrepresentation of the death toll and characterization of the operation in Puerto Rico as an unqualified, wonderful wonderful success. He said, we've been getting a lot of calls. But the manager said, I don't want to be political. I don't want to get political. You're just not that into politics, huh? So you're just not that into politics. Your boss is, your landlord is, your insurance company is, and every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. It's time to get into politics. I love that. There's always someone who says, "Uh, I'm just not that into politics, you know. uh, Something. Here's another one, and I just found this one. By the way, our background music is provided by Ali Akbar Khan. This is from the website Really American. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they are undocumented immigrants in this country. Without social security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying only to live a better life. This whole wall the illegals bullshit is just 1%. The 1% convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor instead of realizing the reason they are all poor is due to the vast income inequality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Please use your brains for fuck's sake. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. That's someone named Jesse Memmer who put that out on the Really American uh, Facebook page. How true it is, though. How true it is. From time immemorial, time immemorial, the tactic of the ruling class has been to divide workers. Oh, my God, there are workers coming across the border. They're going to take your job. Oh, my God. People in China are getting all the jobs. Oh, well, who's moving the job? Who's... Who's bringing the workers here? Who's creating the market for cheap labor? Throughout history, someone should write a book called Cheap Labor. That's the the dream of every capitalist. Everyone who wants to get rich off someone else's labor wants cheap labor. And that's what it's about. Divide the workers. Get them to sell their labor cheaper. Divide workers. Deny their voice. Blame bad conditions on other workers to further divide them. And on and on and on. So you're just not into politics. Really? Hmm interesting okay well what we're about today is the dia de independencia mexican independence day and mexican independence day is september 16th okay all you people out there who think that cinco de mayo is mexican independence day take note Cinco de Mayo celebrates a victory in a battle against a foreign invader, in that case the French. September 16th is the Independence Day of Mexico. Got a little audio here to tell us about it. El grito.
3: Hey, it's me from the internet. Since I'm Mexican-American, people have been asking me to do a video about Mexican Independence Day. Not sure why. I mean, maybe because I live in Los Angeles, aka Little Mexico. Or maybe because I'm your favorite Mexican-American YouTuber. In any case, here goes nothing. I'm gonna drop a knowledge bomb on your ass. knowledge, knowledge, knowledge bomb. bomb. For 300 years since 1521, when Hernan Cortes toppled over the Aztec Empire, Mexico was considered part of Spain. In fact, prior to its independence in 1821, Mexico was known as New Spain. Oh, Spaniards, you're so creative. The Spaniards brought over a lot of things like smallpox, cholera, influenza, the measles, nearly wiping out an entire group of people. They even created a caste system that got pretty complicated. The child of a Spaniard and an indigenous indigenous person was called a Mestizo. The child of a Mestizo and a Spanish woman was called a Castizo, and so on and so forth. Toward the end, it looks like they just got tired and started making shit up. The child of a Campamulto with a Cambuja was known as el aire. El aire with a mulata was, get this, not contento. You would think that I'm joking, but I'm totally serious. For three centuries, the Spaniards ruled Mexico with an iron fist. There was racism, classism, and tyrannical rule. Many people were fed up, including a Catholic priest named Miguel. Hidalgo, who issued what is now famously known as El Grito de Dolores, literally translated as a cry of pain. But more realistically, Dolores being the town of Dolores in Guanajuato where the declaration took place. No one knows exactly what was said by Father Hidalgo that day. I'm assuming the dude who was supposed to take notes called in sick. But it went something like this. Enough is enough. Long live Mexico and long live the Virgen de Guadalupe, which is basically Mexico's version of the Virgin Mary, only darker, more colorful, and magical. It apparently took a little while for the word to get around. ¡Grito de independencia! ¡Grito de independencia! ¡Ya oíste, Fulgencio! ¡Nos vamos a la independencia! ¡Qué bueno! ¡Le voy a avisar a los
4: primos! ¡Ahorita vuelvo!
5: ¡Grito de independencia!
4: ¡Grito de independencia! ¡Ya estamos! ¡Ahora solo faltan los tíos que viven más lejos! ¡Ya regreso! Uh,
3: Eventually, some days later, the war was on. Father Hidalgo was able to start the revolt and was actually doing pretty well, pushing back the Spaniards and such, but he was eventually captured and executed by firing squad in 1811. After Father Miguel Hidalgo was killed, others kept up the rebellion including Jose Maria Morelos, Mariano Matamoros, and Vicente Guerrero. Mexico succeeded in eventually getting its independence from Spain in 1821. That was over 10 years after the call for independence, so every year on the night of September 15th at approximately 11 o'clock at night, the president of Mexico rings the bell at the presidential palace. It's a big spectacle, there's a television show and everything that goes with it. But you may be asking, wait a minute, why is this celebrated on September 15th rather than on the 16th? Some say a crooked president changed it from September 16th to the 15th to coincide with his birthday. While others say that it's because Mexicans like to ring in events the eve before. You know, like New Year's Eve, Christmas Eve, but who knows? If anything is wrong, Blame Google in any case if you live in the United States in a big city where there's a lot of Mexican Americans You may see a lot of Mexicans out on the street on the night of September 15th. If so white people do not be alarmed. They may just be celebrating Mexican Independence Day Anyways guys, my name is Eddie G. If you like this video make sure you like it and share it and spread the knowledge I really appreciate that till next time. Eddie out
1: Okay, that's that's the uh, History of Independencia, the Independence Day, by Eddie G. And uh, Hidalgo said, viva, viva Mexico, Viva la Virgen de Guadalupe, Muerte a los Gachupines. Gachupin being a slang a name, derogatory for Spanish people, the Spanish who had ruled Mexico so ruthlessly for so long. Feliz Dia de la Independencia. So we're going to have a lot of that kind of music celebrating Mexican independence and el chicanismo, the Chicano movement. Okay, so Mexican independence. What else we got today? What is socialism, a primer on socialism? Socialism. A word that you hear a lot more now, but for a while was kind of like uh, whispered in dark shadows. If you said the word socialism, all they had to do was say, oh, that's socialist. And no one would think about it. No one would try to figure out what was wrong with it or why it was socialist or why socialist was bad. They just had to say that. And that was it. We're going to find out a little more about what is socialism. A lot of people have an idea that's... It's based on some kind of mercy and good feeling. But we'll see. Let's get on with it. Race and labor. The elephant in the room. One of the... Postulates of Labor and Love Radio is that the reason... Uh, there's such a movement against public sector unions now is that many public sector workers are people of color. This is the way for people of color as it was for the white middle class to achieve some kind of success and, and uh, wellness. We've got Radio Labor As usual, one of our regular, one of our regular features. What about a strike? A strike in Tobago, Trinidad. What's happening with that? And then the poem of the Chicano people. Yo soy Joaquín. We'll hear it. So let's get on. Let's play some more music, huh? background is provided by Ali Akbar Khan and his album called Journeys. It's one of the great Mexican movie stars, singer, celebrities, the great Pedro Infante with a beautiful song called Besame Mucho, Kiss Me A Lot. Of losing you
6: with Toyota Care, no cost
7: maintenance. <laughs> It's time I cling to your kiss I hear music divine It's you I have home, dearest one. If you should leave me, each little dream would take a and my life would be through.
1: That was Consuelo Velasquez's song, "Pésame uh, Mucho, sung by Cecilia Toussaint. "Pésame Mucho is a world-famous song recorded by everybody from the Beatles to punk rock group called Great uh, Expectations and everything in between. we had Pedro Infante's version and we had uh, a version that Consuelo Velazquez played on the piano Consuelo Velazquez was born in Ciudad Guzman Jalisco in 1916 Uh, and she wrote several several songs Cachito Enamorada Abuela, Abuela, que seas feliz. But Bésame Mucho is certainly her most famous song, a worldwide hit. Consuelo Velázquez died in 2005. All right, so let's get on the labor beat now. The labor beat has an article today about... uh, Vladimir Putin and I mean this is one thing you have to remember this is one thing that leaders agree on Putin is uh, has got a campaign to cut pensions sound familiar <laughs> huh sound familiar he wants to cut pensions for uh, Russian retirees okay and let's see what else is on the labor beat today we've got race and labor the elephant in the room how one union deals with its diversity doesn't happen automatically Here's the one about socialism, okay? What is socialism anyway? This is a primer on the S word. Socialism.
8: America's bed. Our chupacabra. Our candy man. Say it three times into a mirror and your kid goes to college for free. Americans are so used to demonizing socialism that most don't really know what it is, or they're shy to admit that they're curious about it, like how most adults are afraid to watch the Twilight series because what if they discover they're totally on Team Edward? But thanks to a 76-year-old self-described democratic socialist and now a whole host of candidates running openly as socialists, maybe it's time to understand it. We're looking at some of the biggest myths told about the S-word. Hit it, Kate! We've all heard socialism described by the right. You wait in lines for hours, you eat what little nutrients are available, and everyone wears the same thing. Why does socialism sound a lot like Disneyland? Socialism is a favorite straw man of the right, used to disparage any candidate that mentions anything that resembles something like generosity, whether it's Barack Obama or Bernie Sanders. And instead of including socialist voices on television to clarify, they actually have segments like this.
9: Uh, I got to go to the liberal panel. It's got to be tough for you to look at uh, your candidates and see how boring and stiff they are. They're stiffer than you.
6: Well, they are. Well, thanks a lot. But they did talk about policy, unlike the Republican debates. And it's not socialism, it's capitalism, it's democratic socialism within a capitalist society. You want to talk about giving stuff away? Yeah. It's giving stuff. What Republicans do is give stuff to the top 1%. Is Social Security socialism? Medicare socialism? Yes. Medicaid socialism? Yes. You want to take all that away? I do. I
9: want to take all of it away, you stupid channel. <laughs> I want to take it all away. I don't want the government taking my money. I can spend it better than they can, and I can't believe I'm yelling at you and again. You're gonna- oh my
8: god. Greg Gutfeld just lost an argument to an animatronic gag he scripted to make himself look smarter. That's like getting your ass kicked by a punching bag. Seriously though, there are many different definitions of socialism, depending on who you ask. And just because a country has socialist policies, doesn't mean it's a socialist country. There are degrees of socialism, so let's just start out with a safe Wikipedia description. Socialism is a range of economic and social systems characterized by social ownership and democratic control of the means of production. That sounds pretty harmless, and yet of course that's what a collectively edited, non-profit, free encyclopedia would say, and look how that turned out. Oh, pretty good. You can think about socialism as democracy for the economy, an economy that takes planning and forethought, and doesn't just leave wealth distribution to the invisible hand of the market, which in case you were wondering, looks like this for the 99% of us. And yet, instead of having an honest conversation about what a more democratic economy could look like in a country with the worst income inequality since before the Great Depression, we hear this. Listen up, all you Bernie Sanders
10: supporters. We'll say it again. Socialism doesn't work. Socialism keeps failing. This is Socialism 101. We've seen it fail over and over again. It's failing now because of problems inherent to socialism.
8: Myth number one. Socialism's been attempted and failed. But has it truly? Critics point to examples of leaders who took a twisted version of Marxism and implemented it to the extreme, like Pol Pot of Cambodia or Stalin's Soviet Union. But those are better examples of totalitarianism than anything else. As Noam Chomsky, linguist and man who lost award for most desirable lefty grandpa to a younger, hotter Jew, put it, the Soviet Union wasn't actually socialist. He says Russia called itself that to trick those sympathetic to socialism, and the US did the same to make people more afraid of socialism.
6: The core notion of at least traditional socialism is that uh, what you mentioned, that working people have to be in control of production. The Soviet Union is the exact opposite of that. Uh, Working people had no control over anything. They were uh, virtual slaves.
8: Also, why judge an ideology on its most extreme examples? That's like judging a love of baseball by the Red Sox fan who carved red socks into his forehead with a broken Miller Lite. Loving baseball is the least of his problems. Funny enough though, even baseball isn't safe from the myth that socialism has failed. Listen to this announcer calling a Dodgers game suddenly go off on socialism when a Venezuelan player steps up to bat.
6: Socialism failing to work as it always does, this time in Venezuela. You talk about giving everybody something free and all of a sudden there's no food to eat. Anyway, 0-2.
8: Oh my god, I truly hope that somewhere out there, there is a Spanish language announcer mentioning the failures of capitalism when calling an American soccer game.
11: Bueno, son malos porque no hay dinero en el fútbol. No es como el fútbol americano donde hay muchos momentos para publicidades. El capitalismo vence al deporte. Piénsenlo, a 0-2.
8: Yes, Venezuela is going through an insane political crisis right now, but it's not clear that that crisis has anything to do with their socialist policies. And since that would take another 10 minutes to break down, instead, we threw a couple of links to articles below for you to read. Yes, read. But what we never hear when discussing Venezuela is how putting their nationalized oil money into social programs led to a dramatic reduction in poverty and an increase in literacy. And how about Cuba? Has socialism failed there? Cuba is not a democracy, for sure, but it also has the highest literacy rate in all of Latin America, not to mention free healthcare and free higher education. And now they're developing a lung cancer vaccine, and that means they'll be able to safely smoke all the cigars that we can't even import. Instead, we've been left with vaping, which is somehow less cool than cancer. Another myth we hear is that socialism is too expensive, but too expensive for who? In France, the government covers all or pays back at least 70% of health care costs, which meant a lot when this couple had twins.
6: Even though the boys were delivered by cesarean section and Nomi spent nine days in a private room, leaving the hospital, they paid 19 euros.
8: 19 euros. Coincidentally, the dollar price of an Uber ride to the ER in the U.S. to avoid going into debt over an ambulance ride. Compare that French experience to an American couple who went bankrupt after also having twins who were
10: premature. It was 2.2 million. Oh, we lost everything.
8: We paid every
12: bill we could. We sold everything we could. We sold our car. We sold our furniture. We sold our clothing. We liquidated our 401Ks. We got, We. I mean, we
8: sold everything. Jesus. But you might be thinking, well, France spends more money on healthcare, and you would be wrong. Uh, France spends 11% of its GDP, and the U.S. spends 17.2% of our GDP on healthcare. And France is consistently ranked as having one of the best healthcare systems in the world, while we clock in last when compared to the 10 most developed countries. But on the bright side, Trump is working hard to make us not a developed country. So, what about students? Is socialism too expensive for? them? Because in many countries around the world, university tuition is essentially free. In Germany, it's even free for foreigners to benefit from, like Americans.
13: I had heard things like I'd be able to drink, I'd have health care. Each month it cost about 600 euro to live here. My room, train tickets, school, food. My main motivation, of course, was saving money.
8: I'm pretty sure the first thing you said was you'd be able to drink, so I think that's where your money's gonna be going. Ah, oh, you can take a boy out of South Carolina, but you can't take a tall boy out of his hand. Germany doesn't see free college as a drain on the economy, but believes that investing in young people's education, even that of non-Germans, will benefit the German economy in the long run. Compare that to how we pay for school in the United States, which is basically an F-U-I-O-U, as student debt just hit $1.5 trillion dollars, though to be fair, student debt is a job creator for student debt collectors. Germany's example flies in the face of another myth spouted about socialist policies, that they're not good for business. They stifle innovation and competition, and heavy regulations and taxes only make companies move abroad. Work for less. Bangladesh. But take Denmark. The government spends a lot on job training and education, especially for the unemployed. And Danish companies participate in these programs because it means they have a stronger workforce. So when Danes get laid off, they get help learning a new skill that isn't putting together Ikea furniture for strangers, mostly because they hate the Swedes. In 2015, Denmark was ranked by Forbes as being the best country for business and is consistently ranked as the happiest country on earth, something Fox News blowhards like Bill O'Reilly desperately try to find a way to undermine.
13: When I heard that Danes were the happiest people on earth, I thought back to my ancestors in Ireland who were beheaded and raped by the danish vikings and i don't know if that was a happy experience
8: yeah bill way to dunk on the libs by bringing up an unrelated grudge you've been carrying with you since the year 800 later in the same conversation the intrepid reporters hit on another myth about socialism the it'll never work in america myth there are five and a half million danes right and
10: that's it We have 300 million people here, Bill.
8: Okay, this myth I really
10: don't understand the logic of.
8: If there are more people paying more taxes into a social welfare state, doesn't that mean more money? What, suddenly Americans don't know how to scale up? We gave the world Starbucks, Walmart, and King Kong. We're all about scaling up. Another myth about socialism is that it requires big government, and that government is not democratic. But look at Norway, a country whose economic model has been called a 21st century version of socialism, and has also been ranked as the world's best democracy. After the global financial crisis of 2008, Norway decided not to tighten its purse strings. Instead, under a socialist finance minister, federal control of financial assets in sectors like oil expanded, and the government directed that money into their sovereign sovereign wealth fund or national bank, which is part of the reason Norwegians enjoy benefits like universal health care, education, guaranteed parental leave, and oh yeah, no national debt. As far as democracy goes, Norwegians are automatically registered to vote, and 78% did in the last election, compared to our 55% in the last election. Not that the stakes were high. Ah. Norway has nine parties instead of our two, a parliamentary system of proportional representation instead of our winner-take-all system, and Norwegians have reindeer. Can we have nothing? When all of the myths above fail them, conservatives always resort to a final myth about socialism, which is capitalism is better. Die-hard capitalists insist there is no alternative to their system. Sure, it's claimed as many, if not more, lives than socialism. From colonialism to rampant poverty caused by neoliberal economics to, oh yeah, the millions who died in wars fought to preserve its dominance, capitalism is still better. Just watch how economist Milton Friedman, the Bunsen of free enterprise, defended his ideology in an interview with a barrage of whataboutisms.
13: But it seems
14: to reward, not virtue, as much as ability to manipulate the system. And what does reward virtue? You think the uh, communist commissar rewards virtue? You know, I think you're taking a lot of things for granted. And Just tell me, where in the world you find these angels? who are going
5: to organize society for us.
8: In Norway! We've been over this! They're with the reindeer! But if that kind of cynicism is what defends unfettered capitalism, maybe we should rethink it. But listen, I am happy to be proven wrong, which is why I'm going to consult my conservative panel. Hey, conservative panel, what do you think about all these socialist myths?
3: What, they, what? They're not myths. They're not mythists at all. Generosity is evil. If you give people free handouts, they're gonna have to eat rats out of buckets. And don't ask me to link cause and effects. Cause and effect is fake news.
8: Okay, listen, conservative panel, I know you're confused and angry because things aren't always black or white. History is fluid, and your president is going down in a fiery ball of lies. But maybe keep an open mind about socialism. Capitalism is built on greed, which, as it turns out, is not best for either people or or business, or the planet. Maybe capitalism could use some socialism. Americans are innovative and hopeful, so maybe the world has yet to see the best of socialism, and even capitalism.
3: Um, actually, Jesus turned the other cheek to ignore a homeless person.
8: <sighs> Thanks once again for watching News Broke. If you haven't heard, this is our third to last video, which is oh so sad, but guess what? We've got two years, two years of videos, every single week, so I don't wanna see the tears unless you've seen all the two years, you know what I'm saying? We're going to miss this, we're gonna miss you, but thank you so much for supporting. Still subscribe, you know, who knows? We might come back someday. Follow me on Twitter at Franny Fio, follow the entire team at Franny Fio, and we will see you next week.
1: it's your primer on uh, socialism from Franny Feo. Um just questioning for so long it was just the word socialism was enough to turn no one even had to uh, analyze it uh, you just said the word socialism that was it oh socialism okay that's it So, socialism is based on generosity, the best socialism, Uh, an economic system, economic democracy, an economic system that recognizes the basic needs of everyone in the world, everyone in the society. Okay, on with our chicanismo. Rido del Deleno. <SILENCIO> The song celebrates the organizing prowess of César Chávez. Por
15: trabajar el terreno. Estando de California en el condado de Kern. Se escucharon las palabras. Ándale paisano ven a ingresar al sindicato. No sirá. Porque salimos en huelga No es para que el mundo se asombre Esto lo decía un joven César Chávez es su nombre Solo pedimos lo justo Y la dignidad del hombre Llamó tanto la atención este famoso motín que vinieron senadores a ver si le hallaban fin. Murphy que Kennedy vinieron a consultar nuestra gente. Escucharon las demandas fueron muy conscientes de que se trata de un pueblo trabajador y decente. Con el estandarte hermoso de nuestra Guadalupana van marchando a Sacramento nuestra gente mexicana. A luchar por sus derechos Dios bendito A ver si gana.
5: Con abrazarte y conversar Tanta vida yo te di Que por fuerzas llevarás sabor a mí No pretendo ser tu dueño No soy nada, yo no tengo vanidad En mi vida tan pobre qué otra cosa puedo dar, pasarán más de mil años, muchos más, yo no sé si tengamos la eternidad, pero allá tal como aquí, y en la boca llevarás sabor a mí. Pretendo ser tu dueño No soy nada, yo no tengo vanidad En mi vida, todo lo bueno Soy tan pobre que otra cosa puedo dar Pasarán más de mil años, muchos más Yo no sé si tengo amor Pero allá tal como aquí Y en la boca llevarás sabor a mí
1: got a real treat for you. That was Sabor A Mi, a famous love song by Mexican composer Alvaro Carrillo. Before that we had uh, Corrido de Deleno by Lalo Guerrero. Excellent. Very famous um, Chicano singer. And I was looking for, let's see, let's take a little our Radio Labor segment. Radio Labor, bringing Labor's voices to the world.
2: This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor.
14: This is a Radio Labor World Report, recorded on Friday, September 14th, 2018. I'm Mark Balanchet. In the report this week, the British Trades Union Congress calls for another vote if Brexit doesn't support workers' rights. A work-smart career app for young people. Labour's L20 stands up to the G20 group of governments. The Labour Start report about union events around the world and singing A Union for the Workers. This is Radio Labour. In Britain, the Central Trades Union Congress, the TUC, has called for a second referendum if a deal to leave the European Union does not consider the rights and needs of working people. The British government has invoked Article 50 of the treaty which serves as the EU's constitution, which means the country will leave the EU by March 2019. The Conservative government is beset with internal division and has no plans to handle a so-called hard Brexit, leaving the EU without a deal. In her opening address to delegates attending the TUC's annual Congress in Manchester, September 9th to 12th, General Secretary Frances O'Grady demanded that people in the country have a say in whatever deal is negotiated.
16: Now, we face Brexit. This country needs a deal that works for working people, but frankly, there's no sign of that. The risk of crashing out is real. So the TUC is clear. We want a Brexit deal that protects working people, not just the well-to-do in the posh parts of Surrey and not just the City of London or big business either, but a deal for the people who are the backbone of this country. All along, we've said that we're open to any deal that protects workers' jobs and rights and peace in Northern Ireland. That's what most people want. Decent livelihoods, dignity at work, the kind of country where their children get a better life than they did. And that's what we want too. But the stark reality is this. If we crash out, trade barriers will go up. That means it's more expensive to make things here Companies move factories abroad and investors look elsewhere. Bang go good jobs, up go prices, and Dover becomes one big lorry park. So this is what needs to happen next. The PM needs to be straight with us about how her deal would hit jobs. And she needs to serve notice that we need an extension to Article 50 So instead, we can negotiate the deal that workers need. This isn't about delaying Brexit. It's about leaving the EU on the right terms, where jobs and rights come first. And if she won't do it, or if her party won't let her, well, then I'm serving notice on the Prime Minister. If you come back with a deal that doesn't put workers first, And if you won't call a general election, then I'm warning you, we'll throw our full weight behind a campaign and demand that the terms of the deal are put to a popular vote.
14: The TUC's annual conference had a particular focus on young people. It took advantage of the conference to introduce more people to a special program
17: it has developed for young workers. Marie Ainsborough reports. Delegates to the Trades Union Congress were introduced to the TUC computer app for young workers. Called WorkSmart, the app acts like a coach with advice on building a career and information on work-related rights. It covers basics such as pay, contracts, discrimination, what to do if you've lost your job, and more. It has information about working hours, holidays, health matters, safety, and legal questions. Claire Koltman leads the TUC's Young Workers Program.
18: WorkSmart is a new career coach app designed specifically for younger workers. We know that we need to get better at reaching younger workers, and to do that, we need to listen to younger workers themselves. And so with WorkSmart, we went out around the country and we heard from hundreds of them, hundreds of young workers telling us their stories, the context of their lives, the problems they're facing at work, and in particular, the barriers that stand between them and trade unions.
17: Here are some of the young workers who were involved in the research and development of the TUC's WorkSmart app.
18: My
2: name is Mishi. I'm a registered manager of a mental health facility in Watford. When I first started out, I wasn't aware that trade unions existed. I found out about it, so I went back to my employer and said, hey, can we join one? And he said, no. I love WorkSmart. I think it's a brilliant idea. It's a brilliant creation. It's So simplified and easy to use, but it's full of information that's helpful and can be used to make such a big difference.
18: My name is James, I am 22 and I work in retail management. When I've asked for the development and to be taught more or to try and increase the skills I have, it's either been denied or promised to come at a later date, which never happens. Even being part of the research, I felt more motivated to get the information I need to develop my skills. I got home and I realised, oh wow, I actually need something like this to help me.
17: Once again, here is the TUC's Claire Coatman.
18: WorkSmart adds something to our toolbox as the trade union movement. There's already some fantastic work going on right across the movement, but we can always get better. We've been testing and learning throughout this whole journey with WorkSmart, and we're not going to stop now.
17: Reaction to the TUC's app has been so popular that the services are being expanded in a new version. Other unions could find it useful as a model for developing their own apps for young workers. The TUC's WorkSmart website is at worksmart.org.uk. I'm Sue Ainsborough.
14: The G20 is a group of governments which works internationally to address questions such as economic stability during crises like the recession of 2008. It is paralleled by the L20, the Labour 20, at the beginning of September, the G20 Labor and Employment Ministers met in Argentina with representatives of the L20 Labor Group. I talked to Pierre Habard about the meeting. Mr. Habard is the General Secretary of the Trade Union Advisory Committee of the OECD. Act just recently had its 70th anniversary. I asked Mr. Habard about the meeting of the Labor and Government representatives in the L and G20 Groups.
19: At the outset, it's perhaps important to highlight that the G20 as a whole, that there is perhaps a a changing role for for that forum. It was created in its current format back in 2008, 2009, right after, in response to the global financial crisis. At that time, it was very much about coordinating economic policy, coordinating government action to, to exit the crisis. Since then, it has gradually become a forum for for setting broad principles for reform, broad principle for structural reforms, and also to lay out the key issues that pave the way for us when it comes to future challenges, digitalization, climate change, and so on. So we engage with the employment ministerial, which met in Mendoza last week. What we did is, with a statement, we reasserted the basics of what the labor movement has been calling and is calling and, and is about. Right to collective bargaining, robust minimum wages, coverage of social protection, responsible business conduct, responsible business in global supply chain, and address new challenges, migration, climate change, and uh, engage with the ministers on the future of work, the challenges associated with non-standard forms of work. In the end, what we did with the G20, we gage on all those issues, but we also reminded the employment ministers and beyond that, the G20, the initial mandate of this forum, which is to get our economies back on track. Because 10 years after the crisis, we are still far away from a recovery in employment, in employment when it comes to quality of employment and quantity.
14: Here's Derek Blackadder with the Labour Start report about union events around the world.
11: Here's a small sample of the hundreds of union news stories in 31 languages added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the campaign to have a journalist released from an Iranian prison, fallout from the recent teacher strike in Guyana, and the arrest of striking air traffic controllers in Ethiopia. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Precariously employed workers in the tea gardens of Bangladesh were off the job last week as they fought to win permanent status and wage equality. On the same day, contract oil workers down tools in Colombia also to demand regularization of their employment. Oil workers were also off the job in Nigeria, but there the issue was the brutal methods used by the soldiers guarding petrochemical facilities. Gold miners in New Zealand struck for 48 hours in an effort to gain a wage increase and to reduce excessive and unsafe hours of work. The workers who care for migrants in a camp on the Greek island of Lesbos struck for a day to draw attention to the horrible conditions inside the camp. 382 striking healthcare workers were arrested in India after they refused to return to work. Brick-kiln workers in Pakistan, many of them children, occupied their workplace for four days last week as they struggled to improve their working conditions. And liquor stores across the Canadian province of Quebec were closed as workers extended what was supposed to be a one-day walkout into a two-day warning strike. Our top working women's stories included coverage of gender advocacy training for education workers in southern Africa How the British Trade Union Congress made the fight against sexual harassment a priority at its 150th anniversary national conference. And the national debate about sex work that flared in Spain after Sex Workers Union was registered by the Ministry of Labor, a debate also being echoed in Switzerland. The Health and Safety Newswire we run in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the ongoing efforts by the survivors of a garment factory fire to ensure that all Pakistani garment workers have a safe workplace, the efforts being made to provide financial security for the families of miners killed by their jobs in South Africa, and the conditions under which people are employed at the Amazon Distribution Centre in Australia. Currently, Labor Start is running six online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackheader from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor.
14: Now, here is a union for the workers performed by the Australian group called, appropriately enough, The Workers. international labor news you can use thank you for listening and remember it's all about global solidarity
1: global solidarity indeed that's uh, the radio labor world report i've mentioned a couple times vladimir putin and the problem he has is as he tries to change uh, pensions for Russian workers, much like the movement here to undermine uh, Social Security. Russian President Vladimir Putin this is the Wall Street Journal, so they're going to chortle and be happy here. <laughs> Probably the comparison to the U.S. would make them a little more uncomfortable. Russian President Vladimir Putin softened a plan to raise pension ages to bolster state finances. A rare backtrack following a public outcry that cut his approval ratings to the lowest level in more than four years. What Putin wanted to do was make uh, women reach the age of 60 instead of uh, 55 when they could retire with a pension. His intervention over the plan, however limited, underscores a central challenge he faces after 18 years in power. So men would have to wait till 65 to retire women until 60. This provoked a widespread uh, response and resistance. thousands of citizens protest the proposed legislation at rallies across the country in June, including some traditionally pro-Putin strongholds in the heartlands. Opponents of the law say it would erode the state social safety net, which has been a feature of Russian life from the communist era onward and remains a crucial lifeline for Russians lower house of Parliament the state Duma voted overwhelmingly in favor of the overhaul last month in the first of three readings of the proposed legislation which must be approved by the upper house before being signed into law by the president the Kremlin has sought to distance itself from the unpopular law stressing the role of Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev his government in drafting the bill. But Russians know that no policy change happens without Putin's blessing. The president's popularity has eroded from a high of 89% in June of 2015 to 67% in July. Boy, (laughs) we're talking about Trump with 35 and stuff. Of course, who knows? Maybe you feel a little forced to say, oh, yeah, Putin's okay. Uh, doing nothing, he added, would make it harder for the government to keep pensions in line with inflation. Okay. Mr. Putin, just like every other leader in the world, wants to take money away from the people and uh, use it for other things. Vladimir Putin, that's in the Wall Street Journal. Okay, let's see here. We talked last week about stewardesses and... uh, We've had, uh, okay, so we covered Putin. Here's one, top student loan officer in the Trump administration. As school begins this year, well, let's let Amy Goodman,
10: Or the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman.
6: And I'm Juan Gonzalez. Welcome to all of our listeners and viewers around the country and around the world. Just as the school year gets underway, Across the United States, the top student loan watchdog has resigned in protest against the Trump administration uh, of siding with powerful predatory lenders over student loan borrowers. Seth Frotman works as student loan ombudsman under the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau Director uh, Mick Mulvaney. In his resignation letter to Mulvaney, he wrote, quote, unfortunately, under your leadership, the Bureau has abandoned the very consumers it is tasked by Congress with protecting. Instead." have used the Bureau to serve the wishes of the most powerful financial companies in America." Frotman's resignation comes as outstanding student loan debt has topped $1.4 trillion. In the letter, he accused the Bureau of failing to enforce laws that protect borrowers, defending predatory for-profit schools from scrutiny and suppressing reports that expose banks and other bad actors, quote, ripping off students. Frotman continued, quote, the Bureau's current leadership folded to political pressure and failed borrowers who depend on independent oversight to halt bad practices. The current leadership of the Bureau has made its priorities clear it will protect the misguided goals of the Trump administration to the detriment of student loan borrowers."
10: This comes as Education Secretary Betsy DeVos has proposed new rules that would cut an estimated $13 billion in federal student loan relief for people defrauded by for-profit colleges. The changes would roll back the so-called borrower defense rule President Obama proposed after the collapse of ITT Tech and Corinthian College, which was then halted by the Trump administration. In response, Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healey tweeted, Betsy DeVos rewrote the borrower defense rule to let predatory schools cheat their students and enrich their executives. No surprise. Well, for more, we go to Philadelphia to speak with Dr. Sarah Goldrick-Rab, professor of higher education policy and sociology at Temple University, author of the book Paying the Price—College Costs, Financial Aid and Betrayal of the American Dream. Welcome to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us. Why don't we begin with the resignation of the top a student loan watchdog, and what he has accused the Trump administration of. Dr. Golder-Crabb.
12: Well, thank you for having me. You know, this is a bold and, I presume, necessary move for someone like Seth Frottman to undertake. He's trying to draw attention to some very serious changes, some of which are not being made public or transparent to taxpayers, that are going to affect not only our ability to afford college, to send our children to college, and to repay our own loans, but also, frankly, for our ability to just have a manageable amount of debt in the United States. These changes are going to cost us all money, and he wants to make sure that we know it.
6: Well, could you talk in, in general about the crisis facing so many millions of college students in America today in terms of student loans and student loan debt, uh, and what has been happening under the Trump administration uh, to deal or not deal with the problem?
12: Well, the crisis is created by what I call the new economics of college. This is a time where, frankly, like it or not, college is essentially mandatory for access to the middle class, for getting one's family out of poverty and from keeping one's family from falling into poverty. But unfortunately, we have not created a financing system to actually make college attendance possible without having to take on loans. So millions of Americans are taking on loans even when they don't want to, just to be able to get access to college. Now, when they take those loans, they need to be sure that the risk to themselves is not too high and frankly collectively as taxpayers we need to be sure that those loans are not too risky to us that they can be repaid now under the Obama administration they worked very hard to try to put some protections in place both for taxpayers and for the borrowers themselves for example they wanted to make sure that if students took their loans to a certain type of college called a for-profit college that they wouldn't be ripped off that they would get a job afterwards, you know, that their credential would mean something, and they would have a chance to repay their debt. What's happening now is that those protections are being removed. We're told that they're not necessary, but it was clear that they were, because we're receiving tons and tons of fraud complaints about these colleges. And that's the important work that the CFPB has been doing, is to review those fraud claims. Well. The CFPB is now being told it really can't do that work. And what Seth Frotman is telling us is that it hasn't been able to do it for some time.
10: I want to go back to Seth Frotman's uh, resignation letter. He writes The Bureau's new political leadership has repeatedly undercut and undermined career CFPB staff working to secure relief for consumers. These actions will affect millions of student loan borrowers, including those harmed by the company that dominates this market. By undermining the Bureau's own authority to over oversee the student loan market. The Bureau has failed borrowers who depend—borrowers who depend on independent oversight to halt bad practices and bring accountability to the student loan industry," unquote. The company Frotman is referencing is thought by many observers to be Navient, the nation's largest servicer of student loans, according to lawsuits filed last year by a federal regulator and two states' attorneys general. According to lawsuits filed last year by a federal regulator, Navient has for years misled borrowers and made serious mistakes at nearly every step of the collections process, illegally driving up loans repayment costs for millions of borrowers. Can you talk more more about this company. And what is this relationship um, with Mick Mulvaney, who called his own bureau, the one that Frotman is resigning from, a joke?
12: Well, I think that the biggest thing that Seth is pointing out is that we don't fully understand what Mulvaney's relationships are. I think that we have some speculation as to what's going on here, but he keeps alluding to the fact that, you know, the real issues going on inside that agency are not being made transparent. And we, I think, have the same concerns, frankly, about the U.S. Department of Education and Secretary DeVos' own relationships, both with these companies and with for-profit companies. That transparency is really key in order to be able to protect consumers. The
1: student loan crisis. Student loans now uh, are the largest uh, debt unit in the U.S., outstripping credit card debt. Uh, Students, the minute they hit college, become debt slaves. Debt slaves in the sense that they can't stop. A lot of people are leaving school, leaving university, sure, with, a, with a, a degree or some kind of a master's or doctorate or whatever it is, plus thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, in some cases, in student loans, how that restricts what you can do when you leave college. Right away, you have to go to work and pay off your loan, okay? You might have to choose a high-paying job as opposed to one that's, that pays a lot less, but brings a lot of uh, joy and happiness, a lot of things like that. Now, I said today we're celebrating Mexican Independence Day, the Chicano people. And I want to play what is, what is, hmm, assumed by a lot of people to be, assumed is not the best, or claimed by a lot of people to be the epic poem of the chicano people it's called yo soy joaquin and it refers to uh, a mexican named joaquin murietta who was uh, a quote-unquote outlaw in here in california um the story goes that joaquin's wife sister was kidnapped and raped by gringos at as well as the way Mexican-Americans were treated when the whites uh, took over California. Joaquin was, from one point of view, an outlaw, from another point of view, a hero. And the story goes that a white lawman was talking one day to his friends, and he said, Joaquin, I'm tired of hearing Joaquin Murrieta. If Joaquin were here, I would kill him. And one of the strangers, someone stepped out of the shadows and confronted him and said, Yo soy Joaquin. I am Joaquin. Kill me if you can. And the sheriff or law person or whoever it was backed down. Anyway, here it is. Joaquin written by a a political organizer, and a boxer from Denver, Colorado, named Corky Gonzalez.
20: destroyed by modern society. My fathers have lost the economic battle and won the struggle of cultural survival and now I must choose between the paradox of victory of the spirit despite physical hunger or to exist in the grasp of American social neurosis sterilization of the soul and a full stomach. Yes, I have come a long way to nowhere. Unwillingly dragged by that monstrous technical industrial giant called progress and Anglo success. I look at myself I watch my brothers, I shed tears of sorrow, I sow seeds of hate, I withdraw to safety within the circle of life, my own people. I am the Maya Prince. I am Netzahualcoyut, great leader of the Chichimecas. I am the sword and flame of Cortés the Deathbot. I am the eagle and serpent of the Aztec civilization. I owned the land as far as the eye could see under the crown of Spain, and I toiled on my earth and gave my Indian sweat and blood for the Spanish master who ruled with tyranny over man and beast and all that he could trample, but the ground was mine. I was both tyrant and slave. As Christian Church took its place in God's good name to take and use my virgin strength and trusting faith, the priests, both good and bad, took but gave a lasting truth that Spaniard, Indian, Mestizo were all God's children. And from these words grew men who prayed and fought for their own worth as human beings. For that golden moment of freedom! I was part in blood and spirit of that courageous village priest Hidalgo in the year 1810, who rang the bell of independence and gave out that lasting cry, El Grito de Dolores! ¡Que vuelvo, Gauchupines! ¡Viva
5: la Virgen de Guadalupe!
20: I sentenced him who was me. I excommunicated him my blood... I drove him from the pulpit to lead a bloody revolution for him and me. I killed him, his head, which is mine, and all of those who have come this way, I placed on that fortress wall to wait for independence. Morelos, Matamoros, Guerrero, all Compañeros, Against that wall of me, to feel the hot gouge of lead that my hand
11: made.
20: I died with them. I lived with them. I lived to see our country free, free from Spanish rule in 1821. Mexico was free. The crown was gone, but all his parasites remained and ruled and taught with gun and flame and mystic power. I worked, I sweated, I bled, I prayed, and waited silently for life to again commence. I fought and died for Don Benito Juarez, guardian of the Constitution. I was him on dust roads, on barren plains, as he protected his archives as Moses did his sacraments. He held his Mexico in his hands on the most desolate and remote ground which was his country. And this giant little Zapotec gave not one palm's breadth of his country's land to kings or monarchs or presidents of foreign power. Crude and warm, a tornado at full strength, nourished and inspired by the passion and the fire of all its earthly people. I am Emiliano Zapata. This land, this earth, is ours. I ride with revolutionists against myself. I am rural, coarse, and brutal. I am the mountain Indian, superior over all. The thundering hookbeats are my horses. The chattering machine guns are death to all of me. Yaqui, Darumara, Chamula, Zapotec, Mestizo, Español. I have been the bloody revolution. The victor, the vanquished. I have killed and been killed. I am the despots, Diaz and Huerta, and the apostle of democracy, Francisco Madero. I am the black shawl faithful women who die with me or live depending on the tithe I rode the mountains of San Joaquin. I rode as far east and north as the Rocky Mountains. And all men hit the guns of Joaquin Murrieta. I killed those men who dared to steal my mind. Who raped and killed my love, my wife.
1: there you have part one of uh, I am Joaquin, sorry, Joaquin, the epic poem of the Chicano people. What is Chicano anyway? Well, <clears throat> I'll take a shot at it, although I'm not a, I'm not an expert. A Chicano person is someone who identifies as being of Mexican heritage living in the United States and the implication is that whatever the U.S. has done to wipe wipe them out to trivialize them to use them as cheap labor we come back to that again Chicanos have survived with their culture with their pride at being part of Mexico We'll check out part two um, next week. I just found a nice... Uh, here's BB King. Let's go for BB King. And then I want to play a request.
6: With Toyota Care No-Cost Maintenance and the most advanced standard safety features in its class, RAV4 is a safe...
1: I wanted to play a song requested by one of my best buddies called Stiff Upper Lip, and it's by ACDC. Let's listen to this, Stiff Upper Lip.
15: Stiff, Stiff up a lip,
21: Lock it down. <laughs>
1: upper lip time to go this is the labor and love show labor and love the reply of labor and love is if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get labor and love reminds you if you don't have a seat at the table a negotiating table that is where you work you're probably on the menu labor and love reminds you admonishes you never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor when i say labor i mean you labor and love radio where the labor meets the road hello to everybody out there you know who you are hello to the vitas the solinas the earls my soulmate sylvia ramirez all the people in the house there the whole fam you know who you are goodbye until next week see you next week and let's see if we can get when everything gets really bad we dance Join me next week for labor opinion, labor history, labor commentary. It's all about you, the worker.
15: Mutineer has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it or I ain't scurvy shit-faced (laughs) McRat.
5: Hey, Mutineers Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. With, 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 with,
21: with, 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 diamond key. Let the life flourish. We can find that common thread.
12: The Common Thread Collective and Women's Magazine for free on iTunes. Unfortunately, the only weird part is
3: because there's so many comedy shows at this station, we're actually under the free comedy section.
22: They have a fun time at Tastics deep in the mission, where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off. For <laughs> is in duty, this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer cottage on the mountain ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> you think it is. Flat. Black. Plastic. Vinyl. Records. Round. Played. Mixed. All for you every Saturday from noon to two by Scottu. Amazing artist. Music DJ. Vinyl enthusiast. That is flat black plastic.
13: My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great big fat nation. As your chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war,
6: I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am
9: Carl not Spiegelman.
6: Join us every Sunday, two to four p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for
9: let's watch a full-length movie on
6: YouTube. We watch the best movies that uh aren't they good?
9: Well, they're chosen by uh, here's you. his theme
6: song again. Bye.
9: Okay, bye. Watch. Oh. comedy fans, don't miss Comedy Day Sunday, September 16th at Robin Williams Meadow in Golden Gate Park. Noon till 5. It's free! You'll see 44 or more comedians. 44 comedians, 5 hours! That's over 8.5 comedians an hour. That's silly. Ever see a half a comedian? Yes, a half-wit. Not funny, but Comedy Day will be a guaranteed laugh a minute. Let's see, a laugh a minute times 5 hours, that's 300 jokes. That's a lot of jokes, folks. (laughs) So why are these people laughing? I don't know. Maybe because they know Comedy Day will be better than the shoelaces of Madagascar exhibit. Better than the Paperweight weighers of the World Convention. Better even than the Alien Sheep Herding Contest. And speaking of herding, heard any good ones lately? Okay, not funny again, but Comedy Day will be. Don't miss punchlines like these. A frog in a blunder in your hat, to keep his pants up. Comedy Day is worth the price of admission because it's free. Nothing to buy, no operators waiting for your call, void, we're prohibited by law, Comedy Day. Sunday, September 16th at Robin Williams Medal in Golden Gate Park. It's free! Visit ComedyDay.org for complete details.
10: Do you need an awesome black, black under for an event? Look On
11: MutinyRadio.fm. Mutiny Our 30-seat
10: flexible space